You are listening to the Walking Closer Podcast. This is episode 112. We are making our way through a book by Dallas Willard called The Divine Conspiracy, and I'm just sharing with you some of the nuggets that I gain from each chapter. So, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. We're all formed by our life experiences, but sometimes these experiences shape us in negative ways. And the process of spiritual transformation can help undo those negative impacts so we can live life to the fullest. And walking closer is all about this journey through internal transformation where real changes happen from the inside out. Chapter 3 may be my favorite chapter in this entire book. I really, man, (laughs) it really got my mind working and, and took me to some intriguing places. And Dallas addressed some things that really got me thinking. And I just want to explore with you some of those thoughts. So as I was reading this chapter, the first thing I began to think about was my personal outlook on life began to consider my own perspective, what I see when I look at the world. And I did this because in this chapter, Dallas addressed God's perspective, like how God sees the world. And Dallas suggests it may be quite different than most of us. You see, many many of us may have the tendency to focus on all that is wrong with the world, at least wrong according to our own perspectives. I mean, can you look at the world and say, it is good? I mean, most of us probably don't, right? You see, Dallas suggests that God's reality is a bit different because, well, this is what he says. And it doesn't mean that God is oblivious to the issues, the problems, the human condition. It's not that God is not aware of these things. However, God sees much more than we do. God sees potential and promise and hope when we see none. Like God sees value and worth when we see none. And if not, then why would we have the interactions with God that we do in the way that we do and have for, you know, centuries? I mean, and if not, why would God assume a fleshly form and interact with the world at all? Why say and do the things through Jesus? In fact, if we want to know what God sees, just look at what Jesus saw and how he responded. Look at his life, his interactions with people, the things he actually taught, the principles of life that he laid out for us. Like, why do any of that at all? Why demonstrate any of that? Why, why go through any of that? Why come and experience the worst in hopes of bringing out the best in us? Like, why go through this? It's because God sees something more than we see. And the fact that, the fact that God loves in spite of the fact that God also sees what we see, I mean, that, that should tell us something about the divine perspective. In fact, Jesus himself said, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father, and that he came so that we could have life abundantly, and that our joy might be full. In other words, he was pointing us to something, showing us something, leading us somewhere, and and that place is to the heart of God, where we too can be filled with joy and experience life in its fullest capacity, helping us to open our eyes to the possibilities, to what to what we're blind to, to, to what's available to us. See, because he sees what we don't and seems to want to open our eyes to it. And, and if you think about it, what God sees 
isn't hard to fathom. Like we, we, we get little tastes of it, right? Like when we experience a sunrise or, or a full moon on a clear night. When we, we get a taste of it when we experience a, a waterfall in a tropical forest or when we're sitting on a porch of a, of a, of a cabin in the middle of the woods. Like we get a taste of it when we experience the birth of a child. Maybe the first time your significant other says, I love you. Like we, we experience it when we are suddenly overwhelmed with, with how life is good. And we can say it along with God. It is good. And and it's not just the fact that God sees all. It's about what God sees, when he sees all. And what he sees is directly linked to who he is. And so instead of seeing the prostitute as the scum of the earth, he sees her as someone to love. Instead of seeing the leper as someone to distance himself from, he sees them as someone in need of touch. And instead of seeing the Samaritans as dogs, he saw them as people with worth and value. Listen, Jesus Jesus even ate with the Pharisees. That should tell you something about what he saw in them. And at the very least, he thought it worthy to engage them and to try and open their eyes to a better way. And these are just a few examples of the many. But think about what Jesus saw in these people. And think about what we would see in these people. And how different it might be. And it wasn't just that God saw potential from a distance. Like God demonstrated that he was present among them, with them, by their sides, and wanted them to know that, to come to a point that they might consider that to actually be true in their actions, in their speech, in their thoughts, and their hearts would just assume that reality and live in that reality. Like God was near, right beside them, available to them. And as Dallas puts it, it is precisely from the space immediately around us that God watches and God acts. I'm not convinced that's how we see it. But it doesn't seem, it it does seem that that's how the biblical writers saw it. For instance, Dallas mentions the fact that when Paul said that it is in God that we live and move and have our very existence, that this is what he was referring to. Dallas also suggests that it's bound up in the concept of being born again, or more precisely, being born from above. He said to, to be born from above in the New Testament language means to be interactively join with a dynamic unseen system of divine reality in the midst of which all humanity moves about, whether it knows it or not. That is the kingdom among us. And then Willard asks, like, do we actually believe this? Like, are we ready to automatically act as if we stand here and now and always in the presence of God? And I see this as a major challenge for humanity, even Christians. I recently came across a video of Jordan Peterson talking about something similar to this. If you're not familiar with him, Peterson is from Canada. He's a clinical psychologist. He was a professor, but I'm not sure if he still functions in that capacity. And he wrote a few books, etc. This guy is not without controversy. You either love him or you hate him. Uh, You definitely don't want to get in an argument with him. This guy is very precise and exact in his language. Um, You can just Google the guy if you're not familiar with him and learn all about him. 
Anyways, he, he said something in an interview that sounded very similar to, to Willard. He mentioned something about how he responds to people when they ask him if he is a Christian. And at some point, Peterson said something to the effect that there is no limit to what would happen if we actually acted as if God existed. See, from Jordan's perspective, to a large extent, there isn't sufficient evidence that people actually believe what they claim to be true. And evidently, this was a hang-up for him at some point, and maybe still is. I mean, obviously, that got me thinking. Like, we say that we believe God is present with us, but do we actually believe what we say we believe? And if you might, you might ask, well, how, how would I know if I do? Well, do you act like it? Like, does your heart reflect the fact that you actually believe God is present with you right by your side? That in him you live and move and have your very existence. And to Willard's point, there is an issue with this. Like many, if not most, don't have this perspective. We don't actually live in this reality. And this is why Willard sets out to kind of reveal this issue and give sufficient reason to maybe consider otherwise. Like open our eyes to this reality. And so the question is, if, if we come to realize this is actually not our reality, but yet it was the, the reality that Jesus was pointing to, how does it become our reality? Like, how do we gain this perspective? And this really got me thinking about uh, things that Jesus said, like, for instance, when he said he only does what he sees his father doing. Again, obviously Jesus was more aware of something than we are. But how do we gain this awareness? Well, Willard said, and this I'm just quote, the heavens progressively open to us as our character and understanding are increasingly attuned to the reality of God's rule from the heavens. And from the way Willard writes in his perspective, heavens being the space around us where God is. Not some faraway distant place somewhere beyond space, but more like right next to us. Uh, the picture I get from what Dallas is painting is sort of like another dimension. Uh, at least that's thinking of it in these terms kind of helps me grasp it all. And then, as you might expect, when Dallas mentions becoming attuned to the realities of God, and then, you know, what makes this possible, he, he takes us back to our, our makeup, like what makes us us, like our minds and thoughts and feelings, emotions, spirit, heart, will, etc., and Dallas has a, has a way of putting all this together to help us make sense of why we are who we are. Like how we have been formed and shaped by our experiences and what we focus on, etc. But Dallas gives special emphasis on the fact that we are spiritual beings. And as such, we need to realize our world is the spiritual world. Now... As I think about what Dallas mentions here, I have to be honest and say some of this language just triggered some negative things in me. Some of the language just reminded me too much of this idea that that we should completely ignore the physical because one day we'll be out of this place and we're all just waiting for that to happen. Now, I don't think that this is what Dallas is saying here, but at the same time, something just doesn't sit right with me at this point in this chapter and 
And again, I'm not convinced this is what Dallas is saying, but it just triggered some things within me and caused me to, uh, I don't know, just be unsettled. So obviously this is a, a, a part of my heritage where I've come from, uh, my upbringing, things that I have been molded and shaped by and the way that I perceived and thought of things for some time, which is not just me. It's, you know, I mean, I wasn't raised, you know, in a bubble. But what I, what I can say is that maybe because we are spirits that have bodies, that it can be really easy to just simply focus on the physical, that is the flesh. And this causes lots of problems. But at the same time, I think compartmentalizing the spiritual and the physical isn't always that helpful. Like, if we're not careful... We end up painting this pic- picture like the spiritual is ethereal and it's just it's just trapped right in this physical bodies like 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 a prison, and that just doesn't make sense to me because why why create the physical in the first place like why have all the senses where we are are able to experience creation like. We, we, if we're not careful, the way the pictures that we paint, it's like as if the flesh is evil within itself. But, and, and some will say, yeah, but, but we, we messed up everything, and that's why things are the way that they are. Well, to, to this, I respond that, listen, that doesn't change the fact that from the beginning, we came to life in the flesh. From the beginning, the spirit and the flesh were integrated. And at least in this world, when the two are together, you have life. Now, was that a mistake? Man, I just, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think so. I think we need to think more along the lines of integration and not compartmentalization. Because when we compartmentalize, we, we segregate. And when we segregate, we tend to focus on one aspect and neglect the other. We also tend to not see how the two parts affect each other. And I understand that at times to, 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 to analyze or get a firm grip on something, it is helpful to set it apart. But once we're done, we, we need to also understand it in light of how it works with the other parts because nothing stands on its own. And so the big problem as I see it seems to be when our spirit, which is at the core of who we are, is controlled by the flesh. See, when we are held captive to the flesh, when the flesh runs the show. See, the flesh was never meant to be the boss, right? Never meant to be at the core of who we are. It was never meant to dictate to the heart who you should be or what you should do. It's like the roles have been reversed. And I think that's the root of the issue. And that's what corrupts the heart. And it seems to me that the point we should be focused on, and this is something Dallas gives attention to, is the fact that we are created as spiritual beings. And as such, we are designed to be in relationship, to live in the reality of the presence of God. It's like we, we cut ourselves off from the optimal growing environment when we fail to live in that reality. And Dallas gives a couple of different examples in this chapter of that. And then if you go a step further, as a result, it actually skews our perception of reality. Like it limits us to only what we can see, which is not the full picture of reality. Like we end up only being conscious of, say, half the picture. And I think one of the things that Jesus was doing with his disciples was helping open their eyes to this fuller picture. And he began by, by helping them 
navigate their circumstances in a different way, which opened their hearts to a much different reality. And that's what being a disciple of Jesus does. Like it, it helps to change our perspectives to be more in line with reality, to see as Jesus sees, to see as Paul said it, the unseen. So there it is, episode 112. Just some of my thoughts from chapter three of the divine conspiracy. Now, beyond what I have shared, it, it's a chapter that really got me, it really got my thinker thinking. You know what I mean? It really got me thinking. And it's a good read, and I encourage you to pick up a copy for yourself and spend some time, especially in, in chapter three, and obviously chapters thereafter really build on this and help bring clarity to some things here. But okay, thanks for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and join me next time as we explore chapter four from Dallas Willard's book titled The Divine Conspiracy. And if you're interested in watching the video of Jordan Peterson that I referred to earlier in the episode, there's a link in the description. So check that out if you're interested. All right, that's it. Grace and peace. I'll talk to you soon.